It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name's Windy. I'm joined by my sidekick and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Windy. And our tactics guy and a man who strikes first, strikes hard with no mercy, Nathan A. Clark. Hello, Nathan. It's true. It's true. Although I, I am more of a, a counter-striker when it comes to uh, Twitter beefs than I am uh, an aggressor. <laughs> Uh, this is, of course, a reference to Cobra Kai, which is really good. Really, really good. I'm enjoying it a lot. Uh, and I needed to reference it because I was watching it last night or the night before, I forget. And there was a scene which uh, reminded me of All or Nothing, where Johnny, as the instructor, says, if you're not aggressive, you're being a pussy and you don't want to be a pussy. You want to have balls. And uh, his 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 trainee says, don't you think you're doing a lot of genderizing? And it really made me chuckle. And I sent a recording, uh, I sent a, like, a video of that to Nathan and Bardi. So there we go. Cobra Kai is excellent. What do you think, Nathan? Uh, I, I disagree. I think it's quite bad, but I'm also enjoying it. So... Um... I don't know. I, I I watched two seasons in like a couple of weeks, and the whole time I was thinking, "What is this crap that I'm watching?" And then I just keep and then click next episode. It's so gentle <laughs> and, and light, but I find it really, really amusing and enjoyable. And I'd say the writing is is quite sort of um, knowing. It knows it's a bit shit, and that makes yes. it good. Yeah, exactly. You're right. You're right. Unlike fucking Umbrella Academy, which <laughs> Bardi made me watch, and is the worst thing I've ever watched in my entire life. I hate it so much. But bad. I've nearly finished that goddamn program, and then never have to think about it ever again. Uh, I finished it um, last week, and it was it was bad, but it was fine. You know. <laughs> Boys, it's okay. There we go. There's our there's our TV chat out the way for, for this yeah. episode. A shout out to Rob J. Coys from the X Subs Discord on his family's new arrival. Another Spurs oh, yeah. fan in the world. Um, and thank you, everyone, for your emails and messages following last week's podcast. Uh, I wasn't expecting that at all. Yeah, man. W- when we recorded that, um, <laughs> I was thinking, "Oh God, we're gonna get we're gonna get slated again. Reddit's gonna hate us." And honestly, we had a barrage of emails. Not everyone agreeing. Lots were agreeing um, with the way I'm feeling, uh, but many were just sort of being lovely and sympathizing and saying stick with it it'll get better and how they've gone through similar things in the past and um Mm. it it really warmed my heart seriously warmed my heart uh we also got a bunch of emails from american spurs fans which were really fascinating because in fact i won't spoil we're going to do a section on american spurs fans in the next episode Uh, i want to give it a a proper amount of time and it was um very thought-provoking for me um, Newcastle, lots to talk about. As ever, we'll start with the team selection. Bardi, what were your thoughts when you saw saw the team sheet? 
Um, I was reasonably happy with it. I, I'm kind of over getting upset about Lucas starting games now. But <laughs> you have to be. I, yeah, I, I kind of see what he's doing with Lo Celso. One, either Lo Celso and Dombele plays. He's kind of keeping him fresh by playing one or the other one. So I was, yeah, I wasn't too bad. I wasn't too upset with it. Alderweireld missing was a bit of a surprise. Um, I think we're, I think we're starting to see his preferred back, uh, his preferred pairing is definitely Sanchez and Dyer. But other than that, there wasn't too much to be surprised or upset about it was a perfectly fine start in the level did you feel similarly nathan no i was i was more negative um i think um i don't know i just felt quite uninspired by the lineup again for, obviously frustrated that delhi is dramatically absent remains dramatically absent even the, jensen stepped in as the 19th man with um Sissoko's illness is that right mm-hmm. um but i mean you know it's always nice when Kane is fit, it's always great to see Lo Celso start. There are, you know, it's nice that we have Hoivia, you know, regularly starting games, filling in number six. There were well, there were reasons to be more positive than I felt at the moment of the lineup announced. I guess I'm just mainly frustrated around Delhi's absence. That's fair. That's fair, and we'll we'll come on to that. Just uh, just just hold your horses, there, Nathan, because okay. we've got a lot of talking to do about Delhi. Um, I thought the first half performance against Newcastle was our best half under Jose Mourinho so far, and I include the second half against Southampton in that. In terms of there seemed to be a plan, there seemed to be a structure, there seemed to be a possessional model. Uh, I will counter that by saying this Newcastle team was very bad and very uh, unadventurous. They they weren't trying to do much, but I thought we did well. I thought we did really well, and I was I went in at halftime thinking, you know what, this is good. I'm happy. I'm happy with with how this has gone, buddy. How did you feel about it? I mean, I don't think it was a possessional model. I think had we not had the ball, Newcastle would have just stepped away from it and it would have just been left there in the middle of the pitch. No one would have touched it because <laughs> Newcastle didn't want it. And it was just like, well, they don't, they clearly don't want anything to do with this. So we need to have it. So I don't know if it was Spurs deciding to be possessional, but it was just literally up against one of the worst football teams I've ever seen. But I mean, they were, they were really bad. They were defensive, but really bad in defense. They, Joel Linton, he's you know he caused us trouble last year by by playing through the middle and kind of playing this style. But him on the left wing is is the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. They're they're a terrible terrible football team. And yeah, it, it was awful. They we, we look good, but they were really bad, really bad. They were bad. I I thought, and I'm going to call him Joe Ellington because calling him Joe Linton sounds like he's a, <laughs> a bloke from Macclesfield. Um, but I thought Joe Ellington was actually one of their only half decent players uh they really missed the maximan of course they did because he's he's an excellent player but they had no they had no sense of adventure at all they they weren't uh, committing bodies forward I liked I liked our uh, I liked our shape. I thought with the fullbacks both pushed high. I thought we had a nice shape. We were yeah. well positioned across the pitch. Uh, we had lots of midfield triangles for the first time I've seen in, in a long time. With Huibier and Winks taking turns to go forward or be the sitting player, um, and and actually working pretty well together. I thought from what I saw and and shifting the ball into the into the uh, final third quite well. We created a decent amount of chances. We missed a decent amount of chances, uh, but I was I was impressed. Nathan, what did you think of that first half? 
Yeah, no, I think I think you've mostly mostly said well, we were doing nice stuff. Sort of, so they played a back five, um, which means that um, that can be quite a useful way of sort of shutting off every lane of attack. But we were doing a nice job occupying all five of their defenders with four of our attackers, and then having a a fullback sort of at the far post free. Um, but yeah, we were we we churned out the chances in in the first mm. half from from sort of a settled possession. I I agree with with Bardi that like we had the ball because Newcastle didn't want the ball but it's like we knew that going in and therefore we were prepared to have the ball and we had some nice ideas with how we were going to have the ball I did like seeing um, Winks and Hoybier swap around Mm. uh, a little more rather than us just seeing Winks sit in and and Hoybier sort of um, going off and being a number eight in on and off the ball Um, and then uh, we sort of accidentally lost the ball and gave Newcastle a chance to counter and then countered that counter with, uh, I thought, a really Im- a impressive attack for the goal, um, which is yeah, which is sort of um, indicative of 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 maintaining that sort of counter attack uh, lethality mindset, even when we are the team who have most of the ball, which is good to see. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I would also add, finally, on on, on the possession front. The thing that impressed me the most about it is that is where we struggled under Mourinho before mm-hmm. and we didn't struggle in this game. That fills me with hope. I, I thought that was good. Um, we, we obviously took the lead through <laughs> Lucas, the most unexpected of scorers, seeing as he never scores, uh, but he popped up at the back post. That piece of defending from um, Richie gave me serious Kieran Trippier back post defending vibes. Um, like his body shape was horribly wrong. He didn't know where Lucas was. It was awful. But uh, but we took our chance. We took one of our many chances. Um, and I was feeling like, yeah, we're going to go on and, and win this handsomely. Uh, it didn't work out that way. Bardi, what did you make of the second half? I mean, um, Harry Kane equaled a record set by um, former Tottenham player Rule Fox of uh, creating five assists in the opening three matches of the Premier League. So it's a nice little record he's got mm, there. That's impressive. Yeah, well, I mean, I was impressed that Rule Fox managed to put together five assists <laughs> in his career. Was it for Spurs but or for Norwich? For no, it was for Newcastle. Oh, right, I guess okay. it was probably that period where they were just smacking it onto Les Ferdinand's forehead for like the opening start of the season. Um, I, th- I thought, I thought, I thought we, I thought we were quite good. I'm, I'm gonna go back on what I said earlier. Where I was kind of a bit down about it. I agree with, I agree with both, what, both of the things you guys said that we took that we had the onus of possession given to us, and I thought we did carve out enough chances. I was very surprised by Kane's kind of inability to finish in the penalty box normally he would tuck those two chances away so I was quite surprised by that from Kane what do you make of the second half though Bards I think I think Sun going off really did hamstring us for want of a better word. He really is a kind of most attacking player, a most threatening player, and I'm just a bit disappointed in Bergvine. I I like him. I think he's got a lot to offer, but I just think he's in a little bit of funk at the moment. I'd like to see a little bit more coming from him. Nathan, what about you? Did you feel that the game hinged on that Son substitution? Yes. Yeah, so this is this has been sort of a little bit of a debate. I felt that it was more about team instruction and our plan and our approach to the game and management and considering our future fixtures uh, whereas other people felt it was just a matter of sun going off and us losing that threat in behind I, I felt like we we pushed fewer players forwards we committed fewer attackers we took fewer risks um, we passed less aggressively but maybe all of that was simply a knock-on effects from from losing sun I really 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 like Bergvine I certainly like him a lot more than I like Lucas I think he's a really special young mm. player 
player. Um, I think that he should be starting regularly. Um, and I think that regular starts will, will help with, with better performances. Um, and hopefully that is sort of the positive that we, um, we can get from, uh, the huge number of fixtures we have this season. There's enough game time for him to, um, to settle in more, which he is, he is still doing. Um, so. I'm reluctant to admit that he would fail to offer sort of a throw in behind, but maybe. I'm not sure how I feel about that. I I really also like Bergvine, but I don't think he's a a threatened behind kind of guy. I think he's someone who likes to... He likes to have a lot of the ball outside the box and have lots of neat interplay, lots of touches, quick passes, and then work one twos where he ends up behind the defenders rather than, you know, Son is outstanding at those out to in runs where he just catches a defender off guard, runs in behind and the ball's fed through to him or played over the top to him. The only player, I mean, there are very few players, I think, in the squad that can do that out to in run as well as Son. Uh, Delhi, hello, Delhi, uh, would be one Never of them. Heard of him. No, um, Sessignon, I think, is another. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I mean, you could say Lucas can do it occasionally, but Lucas, again, likes to have the ball to his feet and, and run at the defence. Um, so, yeah, I, <laughs> Directly I into the defence. Li- yeah, literally <laughs> right at the I, did, I didn't mean it that way, but you're completely right, of course. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think we obviously miss on, um, but I think there is something to be said for the, for the team instruction argument. However, having said all this, we, we we pretty much got through the match, and this should have been a, a one nil, right, Nathan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, th- I think um, like the, obviously there are risks with with sitting on a one goal lead. So we created, according to uh, understat, two point five expected goals in the first half, and then only zero point six in the second half. Um, but I think on the vast majority of occasions. Um, with how little threat Newcastle are offering. And okay, they were bringing on Andy Carroll at the end of the game and, and having a threat, a bit of something that way. Um, but uh, there were certain circumstances that were slightly hard to predict about the ending of that game. There were. Um, Buddy, do you think Carroll was brought on with the express intention of heading the ball down onto hands? <laughs> yeah, that was, it was kind of clear. He did, I think somebody posted up a, a stat that he, he claimed for handball seven times and then claimed for just three kicks. It, it, it was just thrown in a chaos theory. I think, um, I think we need to give Endombele a little shout out as well because he came on and looked really good. Could have won us a penalty, did some nice touches and I think it's really heartwarming to see how he continues to improve and, um, and the trust Mourinho is now putting into him, I, I think it's great to see, and that, that can only be a good thing. Um, in these kind of matches where we're playing against such bad opposition, I do think had he started, had he been fit enough, fit enough to start alongside Lacelso, I think we probably would have buried Newcastle by 60 minutes. So I, I just thought we did skip over that before we started talking about the handball chaos. But I, I think it's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're you're, you're completely right to to say that he is so good, man. He's just uh. God, he's everything I want in a, in a midfielder and more. I love him so much. I think he could be our best player. Uh, he just needs he just needs trust and opportunity. And the, the guy is gonna grow and grow. He's fantastic. Um, so this handball decision, of course, is highly controversial. It's not controversial in terms of the rules, um, but it's controversial in terms of whether the rules are good for the game. And increasingly, we're seeing ex-pros come out and say, the game's gone, you're ruining football. Um, And it's very difficult to argue with that viewpoint because 
it's, this is stupid. We're, we're at a point now where players, I mean, so what Eric Dyer did in terms of jumping or was he pushed with his uh, hand in the air, it's not, that's not kind of the unnatural position that we'd become accustomed no, to with, with handball decisions. That's the mechanics of jumping. Like, exactly. Like, see how high you can jump with your arms pinned down by your side versus with, you know, leverage and weighting and balance from throwing them up. That's that's the only natural position for your arms to be in, especially if you may well have been pushed in the back as well. So this new rule is essentially punishing players for something they can't help but do. Uh, and it does seem as though the rule or the interpretation of the rule might change post this match, which well, is very typical of Spurs in the last couple of seasons. Yes, it feels like yeah, every yeah. time something goes wrong, we it changes after we've suffered from it. We are the trailblazers of um, <laughs> compensatory rule changes. Uh, yeah, no, I... I um... What I tweeted about afterwards, uh, and the way I feel about it, is like um, essentially we have one extreme option or the other, or the referee. Mm. Firstly, actually, there was already I saw like a screenshot of some IFAB guidance that suggested leniency. I don't know how up to date that is. That's beside the point. Uh, The way that they're being enforced at the moment is the referees have these two. For me, either way, extreme decisions. One is you award a penalty, which is a goal over 70% of the time. And the other option is you disregard the handball incident entirely. Maybe I'm going to have a very hard time convincing Spurs fans, given that this is the example. If there were maybe more Newcastle fans listening, I might have some more luck here. But I think that like, if you are the attacking team and... I don't know exactly where the ball was going in this play, but you can imagine a different one, right? There was a similar one with, uh, was it Southampton recently? I can't remember. Anyway, if Carroll was heading the ball down to another forward who could then have struck it and that path was blocked by Dyer's hand, fully unintentionally, fully unsighted, then Newcastle have uh, been punished by that uh, action, by Dyer simply being there, right? And I don't think it's completely unreasonable to say that Newcastle should have something in that situation. It's just that, again, the only option is almost definitely a goal or nothing at all. So I think that... um, I mean, I, I'm also not against, I wouldn't completely rule out just saying, nope, accidental handballs are fine. But you can see how accidental becomes something subjective, unsighted becomes something obje- subjective. If you're moving in a direction, but you're facing away from it and you're flapping your arms about, is that accidental? <laughs> All these kind of things um, where the, the lines are a bit blurred and things are a bit grey. So I don't, I wouldn't hate to see incidences like that completely vanish without any issue but i also wouldn't hate some sort of middle ground alternative like an indirect free kick like simply returning to the previous free kick which maybe should not have been a free kick also but that's that's a whole nother conversation um simply returning the possession to newcastle with their goalkeeper all sorts of of other options that aren't yes a penalty or no nothing at all yeah i mean you've you've said it all there nathan i think You've summed up the situation perfectly. Buddy, have you got anything to add? No, it's just my frustration at Spurs allowing this rule to be manipulated in order to punish them. The game should have been buried. The The game should have been killed off. Um, I thought we were doing that by just keeping the ball. We should have just kept the ball for the last 10 minutes. We've been doing it for the majority.
majority of the match. And ultimately, Newcastle have exploited a rule which is is pretty weak and and used it to to gain a point. And you ha- you have to commend how smart they were. They knew they could cause us issues by doing that. And we we played into their hands. I thought we started giving away a number of cheap free kicks, and we allowed Carroll to really kind of shake up Dyer and Sanchez. And I just thought it was stupidity from Tottenham and stupidity from the person whoever made the rule. But I totally agree that if you start deciding what's intentional and what's unintentional you're opening a massive can of worms so I can see why they've done this that if it hits a certain part of the arm and your bot, your arms are, make, are outside your natural silhouette I guess I understand it but I'm just more upset that Tottenham have allowed this to be used against them I guess the other thing is people like us have constantly moaned about um, that's not deliberate handball surely that's not deliberate and so the rule makers have gone oh you're moaning about that we'll try and fix it for you mm. because you've moaned about so there is that as well I just want to quickly go back to Nathan's um, uh, subtle point about whether the free kick should have been awarded Um, I've seen so many tweets about how it wasn't a free kick how Ndombele didn't block off I think it was Joe Ellington uh, and instead it was Joe Ellington throwing himself into Chuipia Uh, and I'm like, right, all the Spurs fans were celebrating Jose Mourinho's uh, encouragement of his team to bring about dark arts at halftime against Man City. And now all of the Spurs fans are unhappy when an opposition team mm-hmm. bring about dark arts against us. Can't have it both no, ways, guys. I, like he bought no, that no, free I, kick, I, but it's a free kick. I think, I think the problem there that we had with that is if you're going to start questioning everything about a goal, why don't you trace it all the way back to the Source. to the like where it was conceived? So if you're going to check to a millimeter whether it was offside, if you're going to go check VAR whether or not it's handball, then surely you should go back and is that was it a corner? Was it a free kick? Where does where do you start this? Where do you, where do you start the kind of trail? So I think most of it has got to do with that. Okay you gave a goal by looking at VAR then go back to the free kick if that free kick should never have been a free kick then that goal should never stand I think that's where the frustration comes from the um, the Man United goal where they scored um, in the 100th minute was that even a corner if you're <laughs> going to give handball for something from a corner don't you shouldn't you go back and check to see whether it should have been a corner in the first place and that's the problem VAR opens up this this massive trail of CSI DNA of <laughs> where where does the crime start and that's that's the problem and I agree uh, I agree that it's um it's it's fine to be frustrated. I I felt frustrated too, but yeah, where does it end? You say where does it start? Where does it end? You know, you could go back and back and back, and you'll find you'll always find something that meant that some the, the game should have turned out a different way. Mm. Um, we'll move on to talk about uh, Schendia, but before we do that, a quick interlude now. Whilst we hear from Yoav Meyer from Spurs Israel podcast, thank you Yoav for putting together this preview of the Maccabi Haifa match. Hey, my name is Yoav Meyer from Spurs Israel Podcast, the official podcast of Tottenham Supporters Club in Israel. Our Supporters Club was founded in 2010 and today includes almost 2,000 people. Thanks to Chris and the Extra Inch team, I'm here to give you a short preview for our game against Maccabi Haifa on Thursday. Maccabi Haifa is the club with the second largest number of titles in the Israeli history and was the first Israeli club to qualify for the UEFA Champions League group stage in 2003. The club qualified for the playoff against us after beating Rostov in the previous round, and the game will be the biggest game Maccabi Haifa played in the last few years. Haifa ranked first in the Israeli Premier League after two games, and is coming well-rested to the game as the league was suspended due to the coronavirus earlier this week. They appointed a new manager, 
ברק בכר, who won three straight championships with הפועל באר שבע, and led באר שבע to a successful Europa League campaign in 2017, that include a double victory over Inter Milan and qualified to the next round at the expense of Southampton. Now, a bit more on the tactical level. Bachar is the best Israeli manager, and he knows very well how to get his team ready for such games. He prefers to play with three central defenders and one striker. Maccabi Haifa's main strength is the attack. Defensively, they are very, very vulnerable. Their key player is Sharon Shari, a 32-year-old attacking midfielder who used to play in QPR. He has the ability to find the other attacking line player with true balls between the lines. Their striker, Nikita Rukavica, is very quick and he knows how to move into the hole in defense. That can happen when we play with Dyer and Sanchez together. Defensive midfielder, Neta Lavi, is the number one ball-winning player in Israel, which can pose a problem against players who like to hold the ball in the first third, like Endombele. Ernest Mabuka is an attacking Ryan Greenback. Most of his crosses are sharp and flat, which... make it difficult for central defender to cope, and he is also, also very fast, which could be a real problem against Ben Davis. To sum it up, even though Maccabi Haifa is a well-managed team, I'm sure we will come out on top. We will probably concede a goal, but I think our def- attacking uh, players, even without Sony, we will be able to find the net more than once. My score prediction is 2-1 to us. Come on, you Spurs! Okay, so we played Shkendia. Uh, and this match, Kame was on the bench and Ndombele started. I thought the first half was very slow, very stodgy, but not dissimilar to many Europa League matches we've played uh, over, over the years. Um, what did you think? What do you think, Nathan? Uh, I thought it was better than our uh, previous Europa League fixture in terms of how we were on the ball and our spacing and our structuring. Um, I mean, I'm already struggling to remember some of the details of this game and what went on. Are you, are you in a similar position? I think that tells you all you need to know about that game, to yeah. be honest. Very forgettable. Yeah, Bardi, anything come to mind? Um, I quite liked how you could hear the, um, the, the bench talking. I thought <laughs> yeah. that was a nice little insight. <laughs> yes. 
Yeah, I thought the um, I thought it was quite funny that the goals were too small. And oh my god! Other than that, yeah, we did well. We got through another European goal for Kane, which I quite like. I like him adding to his European tally. But then, other than that, we got through it without anyone having their feet broken or legs or hamstrings snapped. So it was a success in that point. Yeah, uh, the second half was a lot better than the first in that one. Uh, Dombele was, I thought, excellent in the second half. I didn't think he was amazing in the first half. I thought he really grew into it. And then the Celso and Kane came on and um, obviously made a, a, a huge, huge difference. Um, notably, Delhi came off for, for Kane on the hour mark. Um, I thought Delhi did some good things uh, and, and, and made some good movements. And his pressing, I thought, was yeah. quite effective. But that wasn't how Twitter received Delhi's performance. Let's talk about Delhi. So he's been left out of the last two Premier League squads, not even the team, the squads. In the last match, as Nathan's already referenced, Sissoko was sick or whatever at the last minute and Jedson was brought onto the bench in place of Delhi, a player who's not going to be with us come the end of the season was brought onto the bench instead of Delhi. He's not playing against Chelsea, which uh, time of recording is in about 25 minutes' time. Um, what do we make of the situation? Buddy, you described Delhi as the Kevin Nolan of <laughs> for the PS5 generation on Twitter earlier. You absolute troll. It was, <laughs> it was more of a discussion point. And it's also something... I'm writing a little piece for, for, for the Patreon site on, on Delhi and about about him as a, as a footballer and, and my perception of him. I called it... I said Kevin Nolan of PS5 generation because I think he's now... He's now he's, when he was a young boy, we allow people there... They're kind of to be a little bit erratic to float in and out of the game to do magical things and then we also forgive them when they're not doing magical things because of the magic they can bring us but I think at some point now or last year I think Delhi needed to establish himself I know Nathan talks a lot about he, he he's quite happy to have a player who doesn't have a key position but I think Delhi needs to do that before he does become this Kevin Nolan guy who's just good working off the big man and I have I have a fear I have a fear that Delhi will become that kind of nomad of a football tactic of a football of football tactics Mourinho has his style that he wants to play Delhi doesn't fit in that either personality wise attitude wise or just the way he is as a player so I think Delhi needs to make a decision he needs to prove something to Mourinho because ultimately whether this is right or wrong Mourinho is the one in charge I think something something needs to happen Delhi needs to say this is where I'm going to play and do a dire I'm going to be a centre back and stick with that and I just he's not he's not young enough and he's not good enough to be allowed this freedom to just go onto the pitch and do whatever he wants and we don't have a system that that will suit him for that so he was good enough for Mourinho at the start of Mourinho's tenure what's changed Nathan um what's changed is that uh Ndombele is back in his good books so he needs to pick another star to be his scapegoat do you genuinely think that's it I don't know man it, you I just you can't escape that impression like not just at Spurs but before that there's always got to be some really good player who's having a bad time of it I don't know is that so much of of the documentary and also the like promotion around the documentary was so super Delhi focused mm. and I was aware that like I commented at the time that like okay he wasn't really involved in our sort of um, post lockdown end season but there's there's all this excitement around him and he's it was good in pre-season and you think okay here comes Delhi's back <laughs> starts the first game of the season off after half an hour and not just suddenly not just like not gone from starting 11 player to, to like 
working his way down the ladder but immediately subbed off after 30 minutes and put on sale and removed from match squads entirely <sighs> again i don't know and, and we're we're all very well aware that there are character flaws and behavioral flaws with Delhi. we can't know how he's been behaving how he took that substitution which may well have been a perfectly reasonable tactical substitution it didn't work out that way in the match but you get the idea it could have been um you don't know how he's performing in training but like man he's a really really good player and he's not lazy on the pitch like his his pressing uh i don't even know how to begin to pronounce that name in the europa league <laughs> was really impressive he was our best presser on the pitch and i thought that we pressed well as a team largely because of his efforts in a supportive pressing role um it's just it's so frustrating to see a player of his talents um maybe it be about to be wasted by us the other point that i think is worth touching on and i don't know this this feels a bit sort of um uh crude in a way but um the financial element of of the potential waste here. Yeah, now we talk, we're talking about a player who three years ago was genuinely being talked up as a hundred and fifty million pound footballer. Yeah, and now when he was linked with PSG last last week, they were talking fifty million, forty million. People on Twitter now are saying sell Delhi for forty million and and buy Scrinia. I'm like, you know, fine. You know, we need to sell some players to generate revenue that's absolutely the case but yeah you're gonna take a 110 million drop in a couple of years why not sell him at his peak rather than at his absolute low ebb in the eyes of whoever why would we not put a little faith in him and try and encourage him to get back to where he was where he's worth so much money and also so much on the pitch that's the that's that's the sort of cold financial element of it uh, the other i mean we can we can talk endlessly about the reasons why Mourinho has decided he doesn't like delhi and we could all have opinions on why that might be maybe delhi has been an absolute nightmare maybe he is a nightmare maybe he is a late a fucking lazy trainer as mm. uh, as Mourinho puts it in the documentary maybe he is maybe he's a terrible trainer but as Nathan says, he's not lazy on the pitch. And maybe Mourinho just thinks that his form is awful and he's just letting the side down. I'm like, yeah, okay, maybe he is. He got eight goals and four assists last season. What's Lucas Moura done to deserve his time <laughs> play? So, you know, there are there is there is an answer for everything with Delhi. He's he's got so much untapped potential still, and he is such a good technical footballer he's got such a high football iq in terms of his appreciation of space the upside is huge why are we doing this to ourselves why are we fine don't play him not a problem i'm not i haven't got any issue with Mourinho deciding he doesn't want to start Delhi at the moment no problem at all have him on the bench though cutting him adrift this way is sending a message which is you're done that's the message you're done at this club I feel like we're shooting ourselves in the foot. It's it's so short sighted. I don't understand it, Buddy. You're you're frowning. Are you, are you disagreeing? No, no. I I agree with everything you say, and I'm not I'm not advocating the sale of Delhi. I think he he even if he's not starting, he's an incredible squad player who's miles better than Jensen, Sissoko, <laughs> yeah, uh, and Lucas. So it's it is madness to sell him in order to finance a move for a centre back. Scrinyar is a good player. Nathan's video on Scrinyar is excellent, and it made me convinced that we should get him, but not at the expense 
defense of Delhi. I think I don't. I don't know. We don't know. Mourinho. He, Nathan's right. He does pick on players. He does go after certain individuals. I thought Delhi was pretty poor in the first half. I thought he missed. He pressed well, but I thought that when the opportunities came to set, set an, uh, an attack, I thought his passing was either over hit or under hit. He has been making mistakes off the, on the ball, and he hasn't looked the player of old. Something needs to change with him. I think. If uh, maybe you know, I'll accept his passes were poor under hit or over hit, but like that's not that's not an analysis of who the player Delhi is like we know that he's a much better player than that he I mm. like if you believe that he was a good player two years ago and he's become a bad player like why what is what is the possible reason for that is it a fitness issue I'm not seeing that is it a a use and systemic and and tactical issue uh, maybe but I don't see why a player of his talents if you list them out as a as a, as a, a list of skills couldn't suit a more counter-attack based setup or whatever else i think is very versatile really in, in those regards and if it's a matter of form you know if, if it's a if it's a mental issue then then do your best to settle those issues because again as wendy's pointed out we're talking about a 150 million pound player a couple of years ago potentially you know at least up towards that kind of numbers and those kind of performances are you not going to try something else to get that player back because what a player he is man i must admit i've been guilty in the past of of saying this player's rubbish get rid of him um rather than thinking this player is currently playing in this way mm. but with a bit of coaching they can get to this level and, and i think that's it's so easy in the in the when, when, everyone is used to playing football manager right where, where if a player starts playing badly football manager you get rid of them and you buy another one Real life isn't like that. It is if you're Chelsea, it is if you're Man City, but it's not if you're Spurs. Well, it shouldn't be if you're Spurs. And we should be a, a lot more persistent and, and tolerant. You know, we, we were so tolerant of Musa Sissoko. He played a whole bad season and we stuck with him and he became a functional player. Why wouldn't we do that with, with Delhi? And just to pick up on, I mentioned his goals and assists last season. So I've just done some very quick rudimentary maths. So in his, in his peak season with Spurs, he managed a goal or assist every 112 minutes. Season after, every 148 minutes. Season after, 229, when he was playing a lot of midfield under Pochettino. And last season, won every 154. So not even that different to his his peak season. And that is really like, that's very rough maths and it doesn't mean a great deal. But it's just showing that production levels are there. The production levels have always been there, apart from perhaps the Poch season where he often played as part of a midfield three or in, or in that diamond it frustrates the hell out of me, but so so what? So why is he getting left out then? I mean, it, is this literally just Mourinho picking a battle? Because if the numbers are there, then he should be playing. Or is it just he doesn't fit? He doesn't fit Mourinho's ideal starting formation. And, and once again, I'm not saying that that Delhi is a bad player because I don't believe that. I, I'm a huge Delhi fan, but I, there's there's something something has occurred, and I don't think it's just Mourinho's picking a fight with with a player. Maybe he's being an arsehole and is an arsehole and is difficult. We don't know. Um, and that gets back to my point that as a, as a young 20-year-old, 21-year-old, sometimes you allow these players to the, the room to make mistakes and everything else like that. But he's, I don't know how old he is now, 24, 25? Yeah. He, this is, this is his time. And if he's still doing the same things that made him quite an engrossing and interesting young guy, now at his peak, kind of close to his peak years, he shouldn't be still doing that. He needs to be a, a senior leader perhaps and maybe that Mourinho's challenging him to do 
do that and maybe he's failing but once again I'm, this is just pure speculation I think what we saw in the documentary was he's he can be quite aloof definitely I think he's he's got that sort of personality he's, he's very quirky i think i mean i said i said in the in our watch alongs i i found him um very in, he, he he's very interested in people he's very like interested in getting to understand people and asking questions he's very inquisitive he's funny he's dry um he values being close friends with his teammates highly that's that's big to him um he he, he didn't he didn't love that conversation that Mourinho had with him. That's for sure. The body language was was not great. Um, I, I felt there was a distrust there. Maybe that's just, maybe that has just continued to grow since that happened. Like we're talking a year now, basically. Yeah, perhaps they just don't see eye to eye. There um, can be a redemption though. Ndombele's come back. We all thought. I thought Ndombele was done. He's same. come back. So maybe Delhi comes back as well, and then then maybe Mourinho goes after Kane. <laughs> Imagine that would really <laughs> I, the fan base would really tear tear cleanly on that one. That would be that would be quite the spectacle if suddenly you know Harry Kane he thinks he's injured all the time. He's just being he just needs to have more balls about it and, and play through the pain. That that would be uh, his be toughest a, test yet. I reckon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that'd be an interesting one. That's probably next season. <laughs> right, we're going to go and uh, and watch Spurs against Chelsea now, and then Nathan and I are going to come back um, uh, and discuss it. Bardi is uh, you got other plans, Bards? I've, I've got boot camp Tuesdays and Thursday nights. Unbelievable! And I'm uh, going to uh, miss the game. You know, we're going to record the game and, and watch it after. Uh, Where's your loyalty, mate? I don't have Sky. I have, I have no ability to record it. I'll watch it on some dodgy stream when I get back. All right, come on, you Spurs! Well, that was a pleasant surprise. <laughs> we won a penalty shootout. That doesn't happen. That was great. We're not allowed to win penalty shootouts. It was so, 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 so good. I mean, I've, I've, I didn't see any of the match. I got home in time for the penalties. I've joined to hear you two talk about it to tell me what happened because I saw the first fifteen minutes and I feared for the worst. So I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing how it was turned around and how we, how we got through. You were right to fear for the worst um, in the first fifteen minutes because we essentially surrendered possession. In entirely and and let Chelsea do what they want but that wasn't much they didn't they didn't really offer any threat I mean I don't know if you noticed Nathan but Giroud was horrible he had a horrible game did you notice how bad oh, was Giroud was? on the pitch I didn't I wasn't aware that he was playing he was so bad honestly so bad and it made me think like we we weren't that far away from signing him. Thank God, like he maybe he maybe he maybe it's a one off and he'll be fine this season. But he looked really bad. But um, I mean, Nathan, what did you think? It, the first half was meh, but the second there was a lot of promise there. Yeah, yeah, basically. I mean, I I. I I'd kind of written this. I expected us to lose, and I wasn't worried because, like, I mean, we really don't need the extra games, right? Uh, so, and like Mourinho said, you know, we're not going to be taking this one very seriously for, the, for those same reasons. We're gonna we can't really compete, so we're gonna have to rotate. And then the lineup was like, yeah, kind of rotated, but also kind of not rotated. And I'm thinking, oh, okay, uh, oh look, Ricky Lon's getting his first start. That'd be be interesting to see what that looks like. And then the first half is like, you know, we surrendered the ball which you kind of expected and I do think that that is I have been saying that that is the way to play against Chelsea but like it's if you can do that and and and, and you can make it work for you then great but like we weren't even doing great with that we were we you know we were we were the second best team on the pitch in the first half and I just sort of thought well okay you know whatever it's annoying it's always annoying of course to lose a London derby I hate Chelsea fucking hate Chelsea but 
I wasn't that upset about it. And then second half, we're sort of, we're pressing them higher and higher and harder and we're starting to win the ball higher up the pitch. And I'm thinking, oh, okay. Yeah, this is, this is nice to see. And then fucking Lamella scores. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> now I'm interested. And it goes to penalties. I'm, I'm suddenly, I'm on the edge of my seat and I'm screaming and I'm shouting and I'm all riled up about this game that I didn't care about in the first place. So I got, I got a question about Lamella's goal because I heard it on the radio as I was driving back and Reggion was heavily involved. Yeah. So there's a, a crossfield from, I think, Alderweireld, which was mm-hmm. wonderful as ever. And, uh, Regulon, he, he shapes to go on the outside, cuts back onto his right and floats in a really nicely weighted cross, which just misses Tamori and Zuma. And Emerson maybe was a little at fault, but basically the ball ends up at Lamella's feet and he finishes it with a really, really tidy finish. I mean, Lamella was imperfect tonight, but my God, did he put a shift in. He was everywhere, even in the first half when we weren't playing well. He was playing with serious intensity. He was everything tonight. He was great. I, I I really enjoyed his performance, even though it was very imperfect. We were trying to play this, like, this passive medium block, and, like, he was ruining it yeah, <laughs> by, yeah. like, hunting down the man on the ball and, like, pulling us out of shape. Yeah. And I, I do wonder how much that it was, like, potentially against instructions and plans. And then it's like, well, okay, if Lamella's up front and he's going to press like a maniac, I guess we'd all better just, you know, go out there and press him, lads. And that was <laughs> the way the way it went. Emerson was definitely a fault. He does, he does, like, this really smart thing where, like, he recognises where the ball is going and he gets the right side of Lamella and he reads the ball and then he just, like, it slips under underneath him and suddenly Lamella is just free at the far, far post um one final point on that goal for me is like with all due respect to Ben Davies who's a great bloke and a good player Jesus Christ is it nice to have a fucking left seriously, back you can attack down the left seriously the we have another dimension to our attack I mean he met he buddy he was he was at fault for the for the Chelsea goal okay. um basically he picks up the ball and there's no option for him so he attempts to dribble and he loses it it wasn't I mean the dribble wasn't really I'm not going to blame him for that I'm fine with that but then in compensating for that he sprints back and is absolutely sent out to the stands by by Azpilicueta, who cuts. I mean, it's, it's quite an obvious cutback, but Reglon just like <laughs> slides in and slides 15 yards. It's quite embarrassing. However, after that, and probably before that, he was great. He honestly had a really solid debut. He was really, really good. There was lots to admire about his play. Kind of exactly what um, I, I'd taken from Nathan's video on him, to be honest. It was very sort of proactive, very aggressive, very fast, unbelievably fast, and mm. uh, and really confident in the final third. Really, really, really good. So, there are definitely mistakes in there, but he was dynamic and threatening and exciting and, again, as you say, proactive. Yes. So um, Don Hutchinson, who's awful on BBC commentary, was really ripping into his first half. And then second half, he was quite complimentary about Spurs, saying that we changed, we changed it up and we played much better. How exactly did we change it? So shape-wise, there was no change to the formation. So we played a... I mean, I was going to say we played a 3-5-2, but we didn't. We played a 5-3-2 because our, our mm-hmm. fullbacks, our wingbacks were were quite deep. So I would say it was a traditional 5-3-2 with Sissoko, the uh, deepest lying midfielder, uh, Jetson to his right and Dombele to his left, Bergwijn and uh, Lamella uh, up, up top doing most of, the, <clears throat> most of the pressing legwork. Second half, same shape. 
10 yards further up the pitch and Don Blaine and Jensen were given way more license to to join the the, the press of the front two and uh, it, it worked really well and Don Blaine had a really good game by the way a- again uh, another 90 minutes under his belt really solid performance again not everything came off for him but uh, he tried lots and he was exciting to watch I had- he was definitely gassed out by the end of the match like well from 70 minutes onwards he was he was done for sure he was for sure um, I'm interested Nathan in what you thought of Bergvine I've seen some criticism I thought he was neat and tidy without being exceptional link play was good uh yeah I mean yeah <laughs> I thought it was fine I thought he had he had this one really nice touch in the box to try and create a chance he couldn't quite get the shot off I think things just didn't quite reach for him but you know he's he's a really good player and and he, he will he will he will have more fruitful games than that but I thought you know his his skill and his ability was on display once again for sure. Uh, the other one player that I, th- I, th- I think is worth touching on is Tanganga. Uh, I, I, I can't even think when his last match was. It would have been months ago, months and months ago. And to be honest, that showed he was, he was pretty rusty. Um, he made a couple of mistakes early in the first half, one of which could have led to a goal. But then he really grew into the game and he started winning his headers, being first to challenges. And when he finally came off, so he was replaced by Kane on, I guess, around 60 minutes, something like that. Uh, he got a big pat on the back from Mourinho. And I think he'd earned that. He, he, he really, really, really improved as it went on. And I, was, I was pleased to see that because I was a little worried at first. And then we had the penalties and we had five really well taken, cleanly hit penalties which is so unlike Spurs. I mean, shout out to Dyer for showing some balls on him because he missed the one against Chelsea and it could have got to him and he went up and that was that was a sexy penalty and I was I was a bit concerned about him but I was really concerned about Lamella because of what he did against Norwich and he sometimes he just looks like he doesn't have the power to kick the ball 12 yards so it was, <laughs> it was lovely to see them to see them all stroke it into that bottom corner. Anything to add Nathan? Uh, on Eric Dyer, we have a question from my friend Brendan O'Connor. He says, did Eric Dyer shit himself or what? <laughs> yeah, so part of it was this really, really bizarre moment where Dyer left About the pitch. About 75 minutes. That Dyer inexplicably lost the pitch, which led to Chelsea having a chance. And, and suddenly <laughs> the camera pans to Mourinho in an absolute fury, charging down the tunnel, <laughs> looking for Eric Dyer. <laughs> We got a tunnel cam view of, of, of Mourinho running into the changing rooms or something. And then a couple of minutes later, we see Eric Dyer running back the other way, fiddling with his shorts. Tying his shorts back up. Uh, he'd, he'd either been for number one or number two. Oh, they're just showing it now on Sky. I just saw it. Just saw Dyer running into the room. It's like, um, it's like watching All or Nothing again. What's going on? <laughs> it is a bit. Yeah. It was so surreal. It was so surreal. I couldn't understand what was happening. Anyway, boys, the, the, Year ends in one, so um, our names in the cup, right? <laughs> Trophy nonsense all round. My guy Jose, Jose. <laughs> <laughs> don't even know his name, mate. Don't even don't care. He's got to win us some cups. That's what he's doing. You've been listening to the Extra Inch. Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production. Thanks to Bardi for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. Thanks to David Lindmer for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud D Lindmer. Do check him out. He's great. great, great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help. Hold up. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.